Welcome back. Today we're talking to Rob Swift from Delft Partners. Rob has been investing in markets both globally and in Asia for a long time. So it's really interesting to get his take on what's happening in the current environment. Rob, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Chris. Uh, look, first of all, I'd like to ask you what's your overall opinion of the current environment? We're just off record highs. We sometimes think the bubble is about to burst, but then it seems to keep going again. What's the Delft view? The Delft view is that we are in quite dangerous territory, actually. Um, we are well aware that people have called the top of this market for several years, but there are a number of warning signs that are coming up which indicate that we're at a very interesting juncture. These warning signs are not only the issuance of companies that are loss-making on, on the US exchanges or the SPACs, which are incredibly popular without anyone knowing what they're going to be doing, but you've seen very significant changes in inflation expectations and very significant changes in the structure and term structure of interest rates. And these are often very, very good early warning signs that something is amiss. So what do you think the timing is? Or is it, is it too dangerous to try and pick the timing? As you say, people have been picking the timing for the last five years and have got it wrong. You say we're closer to the end than the beginning or the middle. But how close to the end are we? Our saying is that we may well be at the end of the free money era where you get a free put option with every share that you buy. We are seeing a proposed package of about $2 trillion, which is 8% of the US GDP, on top of other packages that have been of similar size in recent times. And there are signs that inflation is stirring. There are also signs that investor risk tolerance is at very, very high levels, which is always an early warning sign. And our advice is rather than take risk completely off the table because cash is very expensive at zero interest rates, you ought to be switching into basic materials companies, industrials companies, cyclical companies, and even, dare I say it, energy companies. And these have been very unpopular for recent, uh, in recent times. And yet we think that these so-called value stocks have now got a much, much better risk-return trade-off than the go-go growth stocks. What you're saying is that cash is no longer a safe haven. Cash is actually dangerous to hold, a risky asset. In a sense, cash is a risky asset. I think that what we're trying to say to people is remain as flexible and liquid as you can be, i.e. don't invest all of your money in alternatives with long lock-up periods, because if we're right about future equity market volatility, you will want to be nimble to take advantage of price falls. Cash is expensive, and it's been well indicated to us by central bankers that they're going to hold short-term rates down as long as they can in an effort to induce inflation and inflationary expectations. That much is written in the Fed minutes. That, that means that if the Fed, say, achieves 2% inflation and you're getting nothing at all on your cash deposit, you're losing 2% of value every year. There are some things in which you can invest, which mean that you've got a much, much better chance of making the 5 or 6% real return that you'll need to preserve your standard of living as you retire. And that way of getting 6 or 7% is coming from buying shares that are stable revenues, good balance sheets, and are actually relatively attractively priced, the value stocks that have been for so long neglected. And we think that that run, which has begun, as you say, recently to occur, will continue for a while. And do you put infrastructure in there, given that there's this nearly $2 trillion in the US? For sure. I, I think that what we're seeing is going to be, first of all, assuming the $2 trillion package gets through, we're going to see quite a big government fiscal push, which will tend to, to increase demand in the economy. You're also seeing um, 
The retailer um, benefit from consumer spending. People feel comfortable now with the various government handouts. And of course, don't forget, as we move through this year, we're going to see year-on-year comparisons are a whole lot easier because we effectively shut down the global economy due to COVID in the period of March, April, May last year. So we're going to see some quite big GDP prints. And this is coming at a time when investors have bid the long-term Treasury note in the US down to almost 60, 70 basis points, which is clearly well below inflation of 2%, which is what they want to achieve. So for anybody owning long-duration assets, growth stocks, Treasury notes, Treasury bonds, it's a very risky time because the impact of higher interest rates is going to be very keenly felt in those places. So yes, infrastructure is a good place to be. We launched an infrastructure strategy three years ago because we thought the banking system was actually not a very, very good place to be. And we did see a terrible deficit of the US in terms of its infrastructure. So we're glad to see the fiscal package. It just means that you ought to be flexible and be prepared to change your strategy. Most people in Australia have got the usual fangs plus a whole lot of highly speculative stuff. That will be expensive if we're right about the change in the yield curve shape and an aversion to highly valued growth stocks. So presumably the solution is an element of diversification. I mean, you don't want to miss out on a continued run from these high growth companies. uh, And yet you've got to have some sort of protection, which you're suggesting, and I understand and agree with that, should be a rotation into value stocks and quality stocks and infrastructure where you've got a long runway. But do you believe you shouldn't be in the, the fangs and the high growth stocks or you should just be diversifying more? I think diversification is, to use the cliche, is, is the only free lunch available. One can clearly over diversify. But if we had to emphasise the themes that we currently like, we would suggest that people do buy industrials, basic material companies. Also, they should have a regional bias towards Asia and Japan in particular. Japan has been a very misunderstood economy and a very misunderstood stock market. But also, we we favour investing in what we call true technology companies. And these are companies that actually make things that matter. Companies like KLA, companies like Applied Materials, companies like Teradyne, companies in Japan, Hitachi Hitech was something we owned before it got bid for by the parent company, Hitachi. Companies in Japan like Advantest, these are all involved in what are called semiconductor production equipment, which is growing very, very rapidly. These companies are trading on, the fr- on a fraction of the multiple that Netflix is trading on. Why would you buy a company like Facebook, for example, which is essentially an advertising platform, now going head to head with global governments? on its multiple, when you can buy companies that are in the front and back end wafer testing production equipment at a much, much lower multiple of earnings. And they're on a secular growth path. So you don't have to give up growth to actually buy lower PE stocks. The market has become so perverted by the expectation of the free put option that investors have become indifferent to the price they pay for future earnings. So it, it, it is a changing paradigm, isn't it? You know, We've got used to what has been happening for the last 10 years, 12 years under QE and money printing, and now that's going to change. Yeah, you touched on a very interesting, very interesting paradigm shift. So you and I would have experienced the so-called monetarist experiment, which was born in the late 1970s when inflation and inflationary expectations had to be brutally squeezed out of the system. Unions were incredibly powerful. Wage rises without productivity gains were destroying the economy through inflation. 
monetarism at the time was hated by the traditional uh, Keynesians. And I remember being uh, yelled at because I, as a youngish person, thought monetarism was an extremely good tool to squeeze out the inflation that plagued the UK economy. We're now 25 years further on and we've got a different experiment going on. I think the penalty of the monetarist experiment was high levels of unemployment, it was the ravaging of industries that weren't able to compete but there was nothing else to replace them. What we're now seeing is a very different and if you like experimental policy where we're having loose money and now loose fiscal. And we're, we're venturing into the unknown and I think that this experiment actually started with Alan Greenspan. And Alan Greenspan, actually, you could argue, is the parent of the bastard child riots in the capital because what he was doing was essentially an asymmetrical monetary policy which always went lower and they would mop up the asset bubble excesses um, after the crash. And they did this three or four times and then Ben Bernanke and Janet Yellen, his acolytes, followed on and Jay Powell now has inherited that position whereby they cannot raise interest rates without causing a taper tantrum. We are, however, about to see a very targeted $2 trillion for the first time spent properly on productivity enhancing stuff in the US economy. And if that money goes through and passes, we will have something like 40% of all money created in the last 18 months. That's an inflation risk. And we don't know whether inflation is 2% next year, 2% on average over 10 years, 2% over 20 years. We haven't been told what that number is. So well, it's much, much riskier. But surely we don't know what that number is, hence risk. What we do know is that inflation can really only go one way from here. Absolutely. And I would assume that interest rates can only go one way from here. They can stay low for a long time, but all the indications are that they're starting to creep up. And so you risk, as you say, the taper tantrum when the market just doesn't put up with that and says, hey, we've got to get out of this, this equity market. So we may well see financial repression. We are at this juncture where if the market has a tantrum, the Fed says, gee, we either take it on the chin and deal with the tantrum and, and we have to actually let some things go, which is what capitalism is all about, or it suppresses the rise in yields. So wasn't it interesting just the other day when the Fed says, gee, we'd like you the US banks to go away and plan for a stress test on a 50% reduction in equity prices. They're not stupid, they are merely telling the banks be careful because it's not clear that we are going to step into the long end of the curve and stop it going up. What this means for investors, please, is don't buy stuff that actually is pre-revenue, don't buy stuff even that's not profitable yet, please be careful of the kinds of balance sheets that you're buying. And don't pay too much for future earnings because there are some very good bargains in the stock market that are on reasonable PE multiples and you will make the 6 or 7% nominal you need to make 5% real for your retirement. That is not, however, what most people are doing. So there we have it, Rob, with a really experienced view of what happens in markets, not only today and possibly tomorrow, but going way back through the last 50, 60 or even 70 years. Thank you. All right, thanks so much, Chris.